I taste my balls. I taste my balls. I taste my balls. I taste my balls. Um, okie dokie. Let's get a clap on three. One, two, three. Perfecto. 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 Muta bene. I'm trying to think of a full metal jacket of like, this is my taser. Uh, I taste my balls. Yeah, well, that, all I can really think of is like, these are my balls. Yeah. There are many like it, but these ones is mine. This is my taser. This is my balls. <laughs> We kill Mike Pence and I taste my balls. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, welcome again, y'all, to the podcast. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to Propaganda. The Ball Tasing Podcast. The 100 (laughs) Pro Ball Tasing Podcast. The only one, I think. Big balls tasing soon. Watch this space. Tase your balls every day. We're going to do a, a media commentary episode or media analysis episode, right? We're getting back to basics here. We're what getting people, back to basics. What people don't know is that Propaganda was initially started out, we were going to review movies and TV shows uh, 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 that, that showcased American propaganda. And then we were like, oh, let's talk about the news. And the thing about news in the Gulf Coast is like, not a lot of really exciting stuff happens all the time, uh, especially week by week. I mean... I shouldn't say nothing happens, but nothing in terms of like what would pertain to this podcast. However, I do have an update for you, Alec, on the Eagle Pass stuff. Oh, yeah? Yes. Greg Abbott has announced plans, and this was yesterday, Greg Abbott announced plans that he is going to build a, uh, a military base in Eagle Pass right next to the border for the Texas National Guard. Because um, they're all over the country right now, and he wants them all near the border. <laughs> All over the state. I mean, I guess go for it. Um, building a base there is not going to be not going to fun- functionally change anything. True. It is interesting that we're after all of that kind of consternation. We're just stuck at the same impasse as before. I'm not sure if uh, if traffic through Eagle Pass has has been restarted. Uh, I, I tried to look that up a couple of days ago and I couldn't find anything. No clue on my end. Uh, what I do know is that. Um a Republican lawmaker announced plans to introduce a bill to reimburse Texas for the four billion dollars they uh, wasted on their Operation Lone Star effort in Eagle Pass. Well, used. I mean, you know, uh, paying for gas uh, to have those vehicles. I mean, that's a that's basically a, 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 an extended drill, right? Yeah. Uh, an extended and I mean, practice. And I mean, you got to stop for chips along the way, and those those add up. Oh yeah, well, I mean, you got to patronize your local Bucky's and shit like that. Um, Hang on, but I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world, right? If you if you treat the Texas National Guard as a as a real military unit, which in, at least in theory it is, um, those guys have to get out and uh, and drive around every once in a while and uh, put some uh, miles on that odometer. So for the state itself, right? For the for the for the state or the federal government, that's uh, that's not the worst thing in the world, right? Yeah. They got some, uh, some of them at least, uh, apparently got to real life harass, um, you know, some citizens of other nations at our border. I wonder if they're, they're living for it. At this point, who do you, who do you think signing up? For the Texas National Guard? Yeah. Uh, anybody who wants the passive income of being a weekend warrior, same as anybody in the National Guard. It's a good gig. I mean. Uh, okay. What's your coffee mug say? Um, it's uh, it's uh, a local potter made this. It's a, I think it's a Bible quote. 
and shepherds we will be for thee, my Lord, for thee. It's uh, it's very, um, what is that uh, a show about Boston? Uh, Boston PD? No. Boston Legal? <laughs> what the fuck? It's very Boondock Saints or whatever. Isn't that, isn't that a quote from Boondock Saints? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's part of their little spiel before they like randomly murder people. I know they, they do like a prayer, right? Yeah, I, I thought it was part of that prayer. Anyway. Were you a big Boondock Saints fan? I, I mean, I, when I saw Boondock Saints, I was, uh, I was in my teens, and I was like, this fucking rules. Um, yeah. So, so for, for a while at least. Um, it was years later that I saw it again, and I was like, this movie's kind of dumb. Speaking of which, I mean, we're going to be talking about uh, a piece of media from, from the basically the, the very, very late Obama administration. And, uh, and like other things, I mean, I, I was a big fan of, um, of the West Wing a couple years back when my, uh, my wife and I uh, first got together. Uh, she introduced me to the West Wing, and I was a pretty big fan for, for quite a while. I kind of still am. Um, the West Wing kind of still, still hits me in that... Um, in like the last vestige of my kind of liberal nostalgia bone, right about uh, yeah. about the Obama administration. What if we just had you know decent uh, decent people in charge of the in charge of the federal government? Then things would be different, wouldn't they? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's something the West Wing and uh, Parks and Rec have in common. It's just like what this country needs are decent people with good optimistic values, and that's gonna. Yeah, we need idealists, right? Yeah, we need he, we need democratic idealists who are not too tied to 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 some kind of uh, predisposed ideology, who are not um, corrupted by, especially corrupted by personal, uh, who are not corrupted by their own careerism, right? To like the point their personal that they, ambition. Their personal ambition, exactly. Yeah, uh, they are they are merely humble servants of uh, of the of the state of the structure of the. You know, uh, legacy of the United States. You know, they're not—they're uh, not politicians, and they're not real actors. They're people that that are in those positions for a short amount of time, and they kind of—they um, put their hand on the rudder of the ship of state, and it sails uh, straight, right? Yeah, yeah. What this what this country and what this world needs are powerful people who don't want power at all. In fact, they—they exactly. they, they can't wait to get rid of this power. They're just doing their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too bad the world doesn't fucking work like that. No, it's it is it is too bad. Um, how, how many of our our political darlings have 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 betrayed us and let us down within like two years of their first term? Right. I mean, I ended up watching a lot more of this show than you did. So <laughs> so you you don't know yet that um, that the president is a a, a literal cuckold. Okay. Um, well, before we get into it, we are talking about the Kiefer Sutherland led show it debuted in 2016 uh a few months before the country took a a crazy left turn crazy right turn i should say we are talking about designated survivor um you you can watch the pilot you pause the podcast right now go watch the pilot and then listen to us talk about it to to you know you're going to watch the pilot, and you're going to be like, well, I don't really know what to think about that. And then you'll listen to us, and we'll tell you what to think about that. Uh, <laughs> we'll tell you what to think about these uh, these pieces of media. Yeah, so we are watching the pilot of Designated Survivor, a show that actually skipped the pilot process. They didn't have to make a pilot and pitch mm-hmm. it. It was direct a series. It got a two-season uh, order, I believe. 
and Alec, they ended up making three series, and then I think it got uh, it got it got shelved permanently. Yeah. And there there is a Korean uh, remake, which I, I I think is very interesting, and maybe I'll I'll check that one out. I haven't uh, heard of this. So here's the thing, Alec is I know you watched a lot more of it. I read the Wikipedia summaries for every episode. Oh, for real? The whole <laughs> way through? Yeah. So I kind of got a gist of what's going on, but I only know like plot points. I don't know how people get from point a to point b i don't really understand people's motivations but i do know the gist of the trajectory of the series right um so so the series i remember this being advertised right around that time i'm I'm not a big tv watcher and i wasn't even back then but i do remember like tv spots for this probably when like football was on on sunday when i was over at somebody's house watching like the saints game i yeah. definitely recall like a designated survivor stinger trailer right being on yeah and uh and i remember it being like an interesting concept right like everybody's wiped out we're starting from scratch um and then and then promptly forgot about it and and this show answers a kind of vital question right which is what if jack bauer was an annoying sanctimonious liberal who got to be the dictator of the united states This is that show. It's basically like what would happen if um, if if John Stewart became president after nine eleven. Really, you you would compare this man to John Stewart? I mean, I, I he to me he embodies that kind of ideal, right? Of the the ideal John Stewart, maybe watcher, right? Like the kind of person that watches John Stewart in yeah. like in like the mid. What, what was it, like the mid-late 2000s? Like 2010s, right? Like mm-hmm. early to mid-Obama era. Or like the, the John Favros. What are those, those like Pod Save America guys? Ugh. If somebody who listens to Pod Save America became dictator of the United States and could do anything they want, what would they do? And the answer is pretty much nothing. Okay, I agree with you. This, this show is definitely a Pod Save America listener becomes president. And... Uh, you know, Kiefer Sutherland is playing Tom Kirkland, who is the HUD secretary, the Housing and Urban Development Secretary, and he is a nerd. He's got a Cornell hoodie on. He's wearing these like plastic glasses that are colorized to make it look like they're horn rimmed glasses. He's, he's a he's, DC lanyard guy. Yeah, he's just a little dweeb um, who suddenly becomes president. And you know what? Why don't we go ahead and run through the the the, the plot? But the show opens up with a aerial shot of DC at night, and the text this text crawls across the screen. During the State of the Union, one cabinet member is taken to an undisclosed location. In the event of a catastrophic attack on our government, that cabinet member becomes our new president. They are known as the designated as the designated survivor. motherfucking survivor. As, as the, the designated, designated survivor. survivor. There you go. We then cut to Tom Kirkland, played by uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and he is in some wacky little room watching the State of the Union, and the president uh, is is ranting about the 1% getting richer and richer, to which Kiefer Sutherland, Kirkland, says, uh, but how are you going to pay for it? And as soon as he says that, the president, like clockwork, says, but how are you going to pay for it? So you get the impression, like, Kirkland knows that you know the president he, he the president has his little speech formula and he knows it and he knows what the president's gonna say he's heard this time and time again you're getting that 
So his wife comes in and she's on the phone and like arguing with someone until Kirkland asks to get the phone. He's talking to his daughter. His daughter wants to stay up too late. And he says, you know what? If, if you go to bed now, I promise you can stay up late tomorrow. And this is where we get the very first introduction of the political philosophy of this show, where his wife says to uh, Kirkland, after promising the daughter she can stay up late the next day, you can't make promises you know you can't keep. To which Kirkland says, we're in Washington. They're the only promises we're allowed to make. And it's Whoa, so- <laughs> damn! <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, on ABC? Can you say that? I think this was on ABC. Suddenly, the State of the Union speech just cuts out, and Secret Service rushes in, takes everyone's devices, and Kiefer Sutherland runs to the window, opens it, and you see a mushroom cloud over the Capitol. Hard cut. To a, and everybody cheers, and everybody's <laughs> like, hooray, thank goodness, we're hard free. Cut, hard cut to 15 hours earlier. That's right, yeah. we're going I, back. I was pissed as soon as it cut. I was just like, D- who gives a fuck how, how, like, how we got here? I don't care. Just just, just leave me here right now that you set the stage for, but, uh, but yeah, but I we would, go back. I was going to ask you how you feel about uh, plot devices like that. I'm not a fan. You know, stories should. I don't need. To, I don't need it to be set up. I think. Yeah. I think. Th- I think the 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 premise of the show right is what happens when nine uh, eleven happens to uh, like the most hated people in the United States, which is our political elite. Yeah. Um, so so we find out later, right? Like among the people dead, uh, the entire cabinet of the president, the president himself, and his entire cabinet, all of Congress and Supreme Court. Um, like and and all their like and all the most uh you know the the highest uh, levels of aides and I guess all the janitors that work at the uh, <laughs> Capitol right all of which including the janitors the most hated people in the United States uh but I guess the premise is like what happens when the U S state is entirely decapitated yeah and I don't really need that much setup for that yeah I was thinking that like if you have to have a flashback like that within the first two minutes of your pilot instead of letting the plot naturally like if you would let if instead of a flashback you would let the story the story start at the beginning of the day and then go up to that night around 30 minutes that's when everything would have halfway through the pilot that's when everything would have gone down and it's i think it says a lot about like this is your pilot and in two minutes you have to have this like cliffhanger kind of flashback setup. That just speaks to the lack of confidence you have in your own show. Yeah, I mean, so so that you can cut to commercial and hopefully people won't change the channel, right? I assume mm-hmm. this is the kind of show that airs like after, um, you know, Monday Night Football or something. We, we would have to look that up. I'm not going. We'd to have do to it. look it up. I, I almost promise that this is. Or I'm sorry. This is a this is a Sunday uh, after football show. This just I like from what I remember. This is exactly the kind of thing that comes on after after Sunday Night Football. So then Kirkland is revealed, you know, it, it cuts to the morning of, he's waking up next to his wife, he wants to kiss, he wants to get his fuck on, and his My daughter starts fuck. screaming like, I want breakfast! He, no pussy, dude, welcome <laughs> to marriage, but <laughs> So he, 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 he's making some jokes, and he comes out, and he's, he's like, how do you want your eggs, scrambled or scrambled? He's a goofy dad. He's a goofy husband. He's funny. He's and, the everyman. Yeah. He's, he's, Am I relatable yet? I'm not getting pussy, and I'm making my kids breakfast. He's immediately like, oh, this is like a nice guy. So you're like, hey, maybe maybe this guy could be president. He's nice. He seems sweet. 
So then uh, he, he his son comes down. His son's named Leo. And uh, he's like, hey, you got to come hang out and watch our daughter tonight while I'm at the State of the Union. And the son goes, I can't, Dad. My friend made a new dubstep track, and I got to code a new program for him. To which the dad goes, in English, egghead. Like, doesn't whoa, understand whoa, whoa, whoa. it. It's very goofball kind of They got of a lot vibe. of sitcom elements going on in this um, that, that honestly – that are so many times, I mean, after watching like the first six episodes, I can tell you, they keep being kind of, for the first couple episodes, they keep being at odds with the kind of gravity of the actual situation that's facing, right, <laughs> uh, of uh, Kiefer Sutherland and the, the nation. Yeah. So then uh, Sutherland is, or Kirkland, he's, uh, Kirkland's, you know, walking by and the news is on. He's walking by the television and the news is on. And you hear a talking head on like a CNN type kind of show saying, this Congress isn't going to lift a finger to help the president. And I think this is a reference to the Obama administration. Like, you know, Yeah, the this- show basically sets itself up and this becomes kind of, I mean, important to like at least my critique of it because it's just dropped wholly after the first couple episodes. Uh, it, it already presents uh, Kirkland, Kiefer Sutherland's character, and like the administration that he works for, and basically the entire party is like uh, feckless and powerless, right? They are, in a word, the Obama administration. They're not going to get anything done. They're obsessed with fiscal responsibility. Kirkland seems to, Kiefer Sutherland's character seems to actually have some kind of ideals about housing and urban development and uh and some kind of i mean there's there's there there are a couple instances of think tank nonsense speak where he goes you know it's about building communities but ultimately he does talk about getting money which he will not get and you know other parallels include like he's 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 very much a like intellectual type and you know i I think that's another reference to the obama administration and he's loyal right he's not going to rock the boat um it's clear uh, after he becomes president and before that um, that well, he's going to before he's not too loyal because we find out that the president has cut all of HUD's priorities from the State of the Union speech. Uh, we find yeah. that out from his and that morning, basically, he gets fired by the president. Right, yeah. the president's like, "We're moving in a different direction, and you're going uh, to we become... don't need you anymore." And he's going to become an ambassador to some UN thing, some in bullshit job. The right, civilian... he's going to get some. Something. He's going to get uh, he's going to get fired and put somewhere else. Um, and um, this is because this is punishment for Kirkland quote not going along with the president's game because uh, his wife is very upset saying we just settled in D.C. You need to fight for your job. He's like, what am I going to do? He's the friggin' president. This is all because I wouldn't play along. It's very vague. But it's because see- he wouldn't fuck the president. He would not <laughs> suck his dick. <laughs> so we're we're seeing that like Kirkland may be loyal to the country, but he has ideals. And he he, 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 he he has integrity that he's not willing to back away from. So he, he's upset. He's at his house trying to explain to his wife that, like, look, we're going to have to move to Montreal or I'll commute to Montreal. We'll figure it out. Then he gets a phone call. Hello? What's a designated survivor? Smash cut to right after the explosion at the Capitol. We're back in the present. How did we get here? So, yeah. So, like, in this setup, and this kind of had me going for a second because, like, HUD secretary... Just in the first, like in the first fifteen minutes, has kind of had me interested at the very least because I think like, well, this is a person that's obviously more radical than the situation that he finds himself in, right? He's he's a, a still a, a, um, a essentially a civil servant from what they describe, not tremendously political in the sense of his kind of personal ambition. He has some ideals, and he's being let down by the system. And right as we know from any trailer that we watch before we watch the show, he is going to become the president. 
So what's the show going to be about, right? Is it going to be an am- about an ambitious idealist? Spoiler alert, no, it's not. Kirkland is sworn in and brought to a super secret war room. All the generals and leaders are in this war room just trying to figure out, like, who attacked us? What do we do? How do we retaliate? And Kirkland comes in, and this, this got me rolling my eyes as he makes everyone stop what they're doing and take a moment of silence to remember everyone that's dead. And there's a general that rolls his eyes at this, which I thought was like, I agree with this general, but only temporarily. For you see, the general takes charge and is just like big dicking Kirkland and making Kirkland feel like he's in over his head. So Kirkland excuses himself, runs to the bathroom and starts puking. Someone in the stall right next to him overhears this and starts talking to him. They don't see each other. But this person in the other stall is uh, Seth Wright, a speechwriter played by Cal Penn, who actually worked for the Obama administration. It's Kumar. Yes, you may know him as Kumar in the Harold and Kumar movies. So they do the classic trope. He's shit-talking the president. He's like, he's fucking, this guy's embarrassing. He'll never be able to lead us out of uh, this crisis. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm coming out of the bathroom, and he's the fucking president. I'm sorry, sir. And that's when Kirkland says, Excuse you've got me. 52 minutes to write my inauguration speech. Then we cut to FBI agent Hannah Wells, who was drinking at a bar in D.C. when the explosion went off. And she tracked terrorists all over the globe. And she's, you know, one of the boots on the ground trying to find out what happened. Are there more bombs? What's going on? She's a badass FBI lady. Yeah, we're cutting back and forth to her throughout the show. Uh, Cut back to uh, Cal Penn. He's trying to write his speech and he's talking with other uh, White House staffers, at which point someone said that HUD, uh, uh, Housing and Urban Development Department, is basically a, quote, glorified real estate agent who only finds affordable housing for people, which is like kind of a horrible they have thing. Some ba- <laughs> they basically have some throwaway lines like shitting on uh, any part of the government that engages in any kind of social investment. Uh, and I think that this, while it's kind of played tongue-in-cheek, right, because all of these instances are kind of chided by our main characters, right? They're like, well, that's not a very, uh, you know, that's basically not very nice. Yeah. I think it does reveal what the show actually believes and what the writers believe about the structure of the government. Because those things are never fucking showcased, right? Yeah. We're, we're never going to use this as a jumping-off point for any kind of social betterment, the kind of thing that an idealist Kirkland would have believed before this happened, Right. We are going to focus on the exact kind of things that the president focuses on, which is uh, drone strikes and internment of of terrorists. Right. Say goodbye to your domestic policy, uh, Wunderkind. We're looking at some international warfare, which we will get to in just one moment, because Kirkland is having a crisis of faith and he goes to his wife, his wife, who earlier in the episode said, fight for your job. We need to stay in D.C. no matter what. And he goes to his wife and says, I don't know what I'm doing. What should we do? And she says, let's fucking bail. Let's get the fuck out of here. This yeah, sucks. I want to go to Montreal now. Fuck yeah. this. And at which point he is grabbed by Secret Service. Uh, they say, we can't find your son. We have no idea where he is. But uh, you got to come with us. And so Kirkland is then given the nuclear football, and he's told how it works. He makes some joke about, like, do you need my fingerprint or an eye scan? Everyone in the room rolls their eyes at him. Is like, this is not in a fucking movie, sir. Look at this fucking moron who doesn't know how this super secret thing works. So the general that uh, earlier I agreed with for rolling his eyes, the general is making some really uh, bold claims about Iran, saying they're moving destroyers into the uh, 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 the Strait of Hormuz. We need to get our aircraft carriers to the Persian Gulf. And Kirkland's just like, what are you talking about? No, we're not doing that. This isn't 
how how we're gonna do things and 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 my America. So eventually, he he says like, "Look, I paid attention in the cabinet meeting. I know what's going on." And he basically like gives you like a, a bullet point thing of what Iran would actually do and say like, "They'll never move to the Persian Gulf." The general says, "How can you prove that? What evidence do you have?" And Kirkland just has nothing. And that's because this is like, what if a bookworm became president, right? And over and over and over again, the show is going to reiterate to you that this guy, he pays attention. He reads the briefings, right? He's a nerd. And therefore, he's imbued with a kind of uh, value, right, that uh, that the power-hungry general is not, right? Yeah. So in, in essence, this is a fantasy about kind of reliving um, the Obama administration, because this is what those guys, those kind of lanyard wearers, uh, the um, li- kind of liberal, centrist liberal dork Americans believe about themselves when it comes to the Obama administration. Yes. Every scene in this pilot is about two minutes long. And I think that's to give you the impression that, like, the president's constantly being jerked into other rooms, other meetings. He's never really allowed to sit still for for too long and so then he it, it cuts to kirkland is talking to his wife and a speechwriter uh played by cal penn that's right and Seth right is saying that like look you need to be strong i know you want to come across as friendly but the world is watching you need to be a strong man then he's back in the war room again very disjointed the general says iran is ready to strike and the united states must strike first we must do a preemptive strike kirkland again shows off that he paid attention doesn't have any uh ideas and he says look Let's try it my way real quick. I'm going to talk with the Iranian ambassador, and then if that doesn't work, then we'll try it your way. Then we see Leo is finally found by the Secret Service. He's at a rave. He's selling pills. He's a druggie. He's making out with somebody and giving her pills, but she's yeah, paying for the pills. Doesn't, this part like doesn't matter, but it, it, there's a throwaway subplot where the, the son is like a... Is like a, a, a drug dealer. I mean, I, I think it's it's important to highlight here that this is like one of the first instances of actual, of, of a very subtle and actual piece of propaganda, which is like the world is watching, meaning that it's one of the first instances where the show and the kind of show's ideology showcases that Kirkland, or maybe any president, right, doesn't really have the agency to uh, create a policy for themselves, right? Because they are bound. They're, they're bound by the kind of innate behavior that surrounds them, right? They exist within the confines of a media and international structure that is going to judge them for um, doing or not doing the thing that they're expected to do. And by the way, the, the show is not incorrect that the thing that they're expected to do always is uh, status quo American foreign policy, which is fucking bomb somebody, yeah. right? Somebody's got to die soon or else you're going to look weak. Um, that's presented on its face. And while Kirkland will kind of, for a moment, kind of challenge that, and even I kind of uh, uh, started paying attention a little bit when he kind of goes against the uh, the, the general in this case, it, it's only going to take another episode before he actually is bombing people, right? <laughs> he needs to take an episode to kind of let it breathe, to have somebody say, uh, we're actually pretty sure about this and you actually should do a drone strike or whatever, uh, for him to say like, well, now that I've now that I've sufficiently taken in the kind of gravitas of it, now that I've sufficiently felt guilty about, um, about you know, not killing civilians or whatever thing that like he tells himself, now I can pull the trigger and we can, uh, we can use the American war machine to murder people. Now, speaking of bombs, right after this scene, we cut to 
The FBI has found a UXO, an unidentified explosive object and a bomb, in the rubble of the U.S. Capitol. They evacuate the area and they send in a bomb squad. Turns out the bomb's a dud. Then we cut right back to Kirkland meeting with the Iranian ambassador. The ambassador assures Kirkland that Iran promises the uh, 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 assistance and whatever they need. Kirkland says, here's what you can do. You can get your fucking destroyers out of the Strait of Hormuz. And the ambassador's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. That, that's not something we do. And Kirkland just basically, you know, sticks his chest out. He's like, hey, look, man, I may be the president. This may be my first day on the job. But I got to tell you, I don't want my first thing to do after an assault on our capital to be an absolute destruction of your capital, man. He just, like, totally strong arms him. I like how they don't name Tehran either, right? He's just like, Americans don't know where this is, so I'm just going to say your fucking capital. They know kind of that Iran is uh, somewhere in the Middle East, but... uh, It's Riyadh, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. It's another one of these, like, instances of real uh, real confliction that the show has, where it sets up, like, the first half hour sets up that Kirkland is, like, a reasonable liberal guy, and then his first act as president is going like, I'm fucking crazy, and I will bomb you. So right after that scene, we cut right back to the FBI and the FBI agent is saying that, and this is, again, some more good old-fashioned American propaganda. After 9-11, all the mosques and camps that they were monitoring were full of chatter leading up to the event. And so they, they, they knew, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew something was going to happen. And so they're monitoring mosques and they say there's no chatter. So it can't be ISIS, Al-Qaeda, or the Taliban, which I'm like... Yeah, I guess that's uh, the natural We're noticing an increased number of text messages. (laughs) This post is getting a lot of karma. Something's going to fucking happen. So then we cut back to the general from earlier. He's talking with the new chief of staff, and he's looking to remove Kirkland from office. He's trying to find some co-conspirators. The chief of staff's like, ah, man, I don't know about this. Then we cut back to Kirkland. He's just about to give his speech, and Wright walks up to him and goes, Sir, one w- weird thing. Your glasses. They're not presidential. You look like a fucking nerd. Give they me make glasses. you look fucking gay. Take them off. <laughs> so he takes his glasses, and Kirkland looks at the camera and says, My fellow Americans, cut to black, pilots over. My fellow Americans, it's me, uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland Obama. Uh, Reese's peanut butter cup. And that's it. That is the pilot for... Uh, designated survivor. Just that last bit too is is really funny to me. So just as a cliffhanger, right? Um, one of the people that's in the kind of immediate war cabinet, who this uh, I I don't maybe he has a name, but I don't remember it. Uh, General Ron Swanson. Um, <laughs> it basically immediately attempts to commit treason, uh, and that's going to be a recurring theme at least in the first uh, couple episodes that I watched. Which is there's a a real kind of. Um, and maybe this is why the show didn't last uh, uh, longer than three seasons, although it, probably it's because uh, the, the Trump administration kind of changed the tenor of, uh, of the self-imagining of like who, who the United States was and who actors in it were. Alec, it's way more boring than that. I actually looked up into why this was canceled. So a- ABC canceled it after two seasons and Netflix picked it up. And after one season, Netflix canceled it because there were too many complications with the actors' contracts. They're just like, this oh, is, okay. th- th- there's too much going on. So they just too many actual it. TV actors, and uh, and we need to hire we need to hire lower down the rung, right? And can't pay <laughs> yeah. for Keither Sutherland costs too much. But there's like a real contradiction here, a real contradiction here that's even like more pronounced than in shows like The West Wing, for instance, 
which is the kind of the liberal sensibility that w- w- that liberals are the only thing holding the democracy together, right? The American project will collapse basically at any moment if it wasn't for good, idealistic, and by the way, non-aligned and not and uh, centrist, right? Pragmatist yeah. liberals. Yeah. Later on in the show, Kirkland runs for president as an independent. Like he issued oh, party lines. Oh no, really? God, that's so painful. That's so perfect for the show. And and what it what it belies is the writers of this show, I think, fully believe that the United States is essentially doomed, right? Because if they ever slip up, if an ideological liberal is ever not there to stop either the the, the forces of the Republican Party or uh, the personal avarice of some uh, Democrats or the idealism of you know uh, somebody who's too far left, for instance, or the military, the United States is just going to become a dictatorship overnight. Why do you believe in America so much if this is your view of it, right? That it is not even stable enough. It's like a, it's like a baby that's about to fall out of uh, the high chair, right? And, and somehow the flip side of the, of, the, of the kind of power fantasy of having your hitting the hard reset button, right, in the form of a yeah. terrorist attack, in the form of a terrorist attack that kills, uh, like I said, you know, the, uh, the American political elite. And resetting to the point where you have a kind of idealistic um, and unaligned person. This kind of liberal fantasy, all you can do is go along with the status quo still. And that is just a profoundly, that is profoundly depressing. It is like a, 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 and I think in actuality is a fundamentally nihilistic way of viewing politics, right? Um, what does Kirkland do with power? Does he does he turn uh, as he previously believed? Does he turn the United States into uh, a place where uh, public housing is fully funded overnight? No, he just he's totally focused on like the warmongering aspects yeah. of uh, of of the kind of post nine eleven universe. Uh, you know, you can say it's early on in the show, but. If you watch six hours of anything and, and, you know, we've totally kind of sloughed off all of the idealism that was that was previously there, uh, I, I think that says something. And also, uh, Kirkland just keeps over and over again, if you watch the first five or six episodes, it's clear that everybody in, like, the Republican Party is just out to trick him. And he is the most gullible motherfucker of all time. <laughs> you can see them... Uh, uh, you can see them crossing him up and betraying him like a mile away. The, the writers make it abundantly clear that nobody has his best interests at heart. And he is like a, a total loser patsy. But his idealism is still um, is still vitally important. It's the thing that kind of sells him as a character, right? It's his... It's what gives him the plot armor to navigate through this world where everybody's trying to betray him is his naive idealism. It's very interesting. His his he tries to maintain that idealism. So I don't know if you got to this episode, but I read the uh, the, the Wikipedia summary of it, and it made me laugh really hard. Where he meets with a political, I think it might be the king, but he meets with he meets with a big wig leader of Saudi Arabia. And this would be like MBS or somebody, yeah, the, the crown prince of. Uh, and, and and so within that meeting, he learns that child marriage is a big problem in the United States. And he goes about setting up a speech to propose a law banning child marriage and then decides not to do it when he, quote, discovers the issue is more complicated than he thinks. 
Oh, like, no. what the fuck? So I kind of want to watch that episode <laughs> to be like, who gives them an argument where it's like, you raised a good point. <laughs> You're, yeah. <laughs> like, what I guess we should have. 14-year-olds wanted to get married. Yeah. Like, he just, like, sees uh, eight-year-olds getting married on the playground. He's like, I have to allow this. Like, they look so happy. <laughs> what if they wanted to work in the coal mines? So one thing that I thought was really interesting is that this this is a liberal post-apocalyptic fantasy. I think for a conservative post-apocalyptic fantasy, you can look to like The Walking Dead. Uh, uh, oh, anything. Red Dawn, right? Like anywhere. Yeah. And a right wing, a post-apocalyptic fantasy, everything collapses and only the strong survive. And a liberal post-apocalyptic fantasy, the machine keeps going and idealism and optimism win. Like, it's so crazy to me that all of Congress is decimated, and people are just like, oh, well, I hope the president solves everything. No one's like, grab your fucking bug out bag. We got to get the fuck out of here. So the difference is, right, in, in, in all kind of apocalypse fantasies, the elements of society that you think are holding it back are are eliminated, right? Or to the degree that... They're eliminated to the degree that there exists a conflict between the kind of righteous side of society and the um, and the evil part of society. And in a right wing fantasy, that's usually uh, the government. <laughs> like that's or it's, it's at the very least, it's all the corrupted bits of this of the state that are not uh, true embodiments of, let's say, the Constitution, right? Or like yeah. the natural, the kind of natural order. Uh, and there's there's like. There's various um, styles of this, but that's mostly true. And in a liberal fantasy like this one, it's the parts of the state that have been corrupted, but the structure of the state will remain, right? The right is going to rebuild the state or or dismantle the state, and the individuals are kind of going to rise up and become that, right? It's it's a it's a kind of a to to be honest, it's a much more populist vision, right? And in the left, the elites that are that are corrupted, that are part of the structure, are going to be eliminated so that like a a more pure form of elite can rise up and fill their ranks. Yes. Right. Instead, of, it's intellectual elites are are now uh, running the country instead of just I don't know wealthy elites, powerful. Well, elites. well I mean, idealistic people, right? Yeah. People that people that value hard work and the gun, right? And 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 in the liberal sensibility, it's people that value like graphs and um, the complicated nature of issues, <laughs> like child marriage. Like child marriage, <laughs> I mean both of them. Well, like I mean, like drone striking, right? Like yeah. it doesn't. It takes one episode before uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, I, I'm never going to remember his name. Uh, Kiefer Kirk, Kirkland, President Kirkland Jeans. Kirkland, you can Pre- remember President it because Kirkland of Jeans. Kirkland's signature. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, President Kirkland. Uh, President Kirkland. A bottle of wine. Uh, whatever. That's fucking, that sucks. Um, President Kirkland, it takes like one episode before he's doing a drone strike, which which uh, which he then turns into like a, a special forces operation. Oh, that's another thing to say. Every fucking episode, Kiefer Sutherland genuflects over the cops, the troops, uh, first responders, um, the National Guard. God damn. There's a, there's a thank you for your service moment in every single episode. And this is like a very, this feels like a very Obama era thing, right? Which is outdo the the kind of Republicans. There's a, there's an inherent, uh, like a Vietnam hangover, right? That's like in every one of these episodes, it feels like where um, 
the writers of this and like other liberal works have totally internalized the kind of right wing critique that they um, aren't patriotic enough. So the way that they represent that is by having moments of silence and like hanging out with operators, which is a thing that Kiefer Sutherland does in a hilarious bit, right? Uh, they're they're going to have this special operation to, you know, uh, capture Osama bin Laden, right? Um, this version of Osama bin Laden. And uh, and he goes and hangs out with, like, these Delta Force guys for, like, ten minutes of the show, meets them, uh, like, shakes everybody's hands and says, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, thank goodness that you're definitely not going to die in the next scene. Uh, this guy's going to have a kid. This guy just got married. Uh, congratulations and they're thank all, you for your service. They're all wearing red shirts. <laughs> uh, they're all wearing fatigues and, like, doing, like, workout shit with each other. And, and their commanding officer just gets through telling uh, Kiefer Sutherland how good Delta Force is and how they're the best in the business. And then immediately, as soon as they get sent out on their first uh, mission, uh, one of their helicopters crashes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not so even like, gunned down. Just like, ah! <laughs> I, ass- I assume this has to be a reference to the actual operation to, to capture and or, and more importantly, kill Osama bin Laden in Pakistan, where one of the top secret uh, helicopters does uh, inevitably uh, uh, crash, like, as soon as they make it there. Just very funny. Like, those... This is uh, let's just say that this show is a uh, it's a it's a it's a piece of media that's uh, foundationally contrasting, right? Lots of contrast going on here. So one of the things you talked about uh, when when we touched base last night on the show, and you said that you kept watching it, is the governor of Michigan within the universe of the show uh, commits treason. Hell and yes, I, dude. I, I, I I believe it's uh, looking to secede. He, not secede exactly, but like he's insubordinate to the president. Gotcha. He starts rounding up Muslims, uh, which I think the that at the time of this uh, airing, uh, the governor of um, of Michigan was a Republican, uh, Rick Rick Snyder. Uh, Rick Snyder, yeah, yeah. This was before um, um, Whitmer, uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmer was elected. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, kind of a weird choice for your like um, right wing state that starts rounding up Muslims. But I, I guess Michigan has a big Muslim population, and they had a, a kind of a, 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 a teacot style Republican governor. I, it's it. So Michigan definitely has like a large. It's got a large focus of uh, militias. There are several militias within Michigan. So it's interesting that the the government apparatus of Michigan is the one leading this charge, and there's not like individuals lone wolves or, or, or mercenaries doing this. So it seems to ignore some actual political realities. And I wanted to ask you, I did not see anything within the Wikipedia summaries. Maybe you saw this. Were any states on the verge of or successfully seceding from the Union? I feel like, realistically, Texas would have been like, see ya. <laughs> Uh, some uh, some commiecrat in the charge, right? That wasn't like elected. I mean, th- that's so. That's what's interesting is that at least at first, the show asks a couple of important questions. Uh, they, they they touch on like the economic uh, implications of a massive terrorist attack that essentially decapitates the American state, and then that doesn't seem to go anywhere. Um, they they do they they have this um, subplot for at least two episodes. Um, of uh, the Michigan state governor, and then the president arrests him, um, and then, and then the difficulty of like electing a cabinet and like replacing everybody um, in a way that's it seems like politically neutral in a very West Wingian, uh, in a very like Sorkinian way. Yeah. Uh, but but it doesn't. 
I, I can't tell if the writers are lazy or if those questions fundamentally take us to places that are kind of too frightening to inhabit for very long. Right. Because I think a TV show about how the United States actually falls apart, degenerate like this kind of terrorist attack, which, by the way, there's that you you probably know about this because you read the plot synopses. I don't know yet. There's definitely a subplot about how this uh, is a false flag and how probably elements of the government uh, planned and executed this. So so how the the essentially the U.S. state uh, decapitates itself. But I'll let you go there in a second. Um I think there's a lot to be said about inhabiting a post-apocalyptic world where the United States begins to fracture and kind of decompose. Uh, I don't think the viewers um, after an NFL game want to really think about that for very long. I am going to spoil a little bit for our listeners. Um, I did find out like who orchestrated the attack. Alec, I want to hear your best guess as to who you think paint a picture what were their motivations what happened who did it i want to hear what you got and then so i'll I tell know you a what little happened. bit already i i would and and by the way i want to be spoiled so i can stop watching this show because i actually am kind of interested about where it goes but i do not want like the first season by the way talk about fully funded the first season is 21 episodes so it's the second season and then there's the third 15 season more hours episodes. of this shit I, I, and I don't, I don't need to watch that much of uh, uh, a cuck Jack Bauer. Let me see. So, what do I know so far? I know that the 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 congressman that survived the blast is probably in on it, and then uh, I, I know that like one of the generals was evil. So, my guess is, let's say it's a uh, a Republican, like a Portuguese, like a, what is that? Portugal, like the the Carnation Revolution. It's like a. Uh, a young officers movement uh, that wants to do uh, American fascism or something. Mm. So the vice president or the, the, the congressman who survived, um, Oh, he becomes vice president, he becomes vice president okay. and he is actually involved in the conspiracy. And when his wife finds out, she kills him and herself. So it goes like, fucking Oh, so nowhere. she's not in on it. The the Ugh. wife is not in on it. So dumb. Yeah, she finds out and is like. So they're not oh, even doing you? like a the Americans type thing. Oh, she's a good liberal. Oh yeah. no, she believes in the American state. She kills him. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So okay, the person who orchestrated the entire thing is a Eric Prince inspired mercenary who had his own private military corporation. Uh, and after his soldiers killed some folks in Afghanistan, the U.S. government covered it up and basically punished him, and he was so mad that uh, when his company was helping with like some remodeling to the Capitol, they planted bombs all around the Capitol and blew it up. And so it's just like, what if Blackwater decided we're going to violently and fascistically take over the nation? Uh, I mean, that's kind of interesting. I wish I didn't spend that much time getting there, I guess. Um, and But knowing the show, it's not going to do like oh, much. Here's the thing, Alec. This is all revealed in the first season. It is? And okay. it keeps going. By season three, there's a whole other new terrorist conducting a bioweapon attack. And this is tr- it aired in 2019. And there's like, there's a fuck, the new terrorist is, is p- putting out a virus that's killing people. And then... Later that year, in Wuhan, yeah. COVID breaks out. <laughs> they have a COVID subplot. Yeah. It would be funny if COVID killed this show because, like, 
a world destabilizing event happened and they're just like oh god nobody wants to nobody wants to pretend nobody wants to play pretend anymore (laughs) yeah this i i mean am i wrong in that this show just feels this is just liberal 24 right i mean down to like the Kiefer sutherland angle is like really selling it for me but it really does feel like that this is a kind of rolling crisis show but but the difference is that in that show, Kiefer Sutherland actually gets to do stuff and shoot people and torture them. And in this in this fantasy, he just like does what his advisors tell him to do. It does definitely feel like Jack Bauer retired and he's now a family man and he gets called in for one last job running the fucking country. <laughs> I'm curious where the uh, where does the cuckold plot go? Did you see anything in there about the cuckold subplot? His, his wife is sleeping with somebody else. Uh, I think she did years ago. Yeah, his son is not his son. I know that much. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I do know that, okay, so when they finally find a terrorist uh, who conducted every uh, the operation in the first season, on his way out, so basically, he locks himself in a bunker in D.C. and is like, if you don't give me a full presidential pardon, I'm going to attack Washington, D.C. with sarin gas. And Jack Bauer, President Kirkland, just says, oh, okay, just drone strike his bunker and kills him. Sick! And the last (laughs) thing the terrorist does is he leaks some documents that indicate that his wife, Kirkland's wife, uh, her mother uh, was involved in some big crime. And that leads to... Oh, he does like a political thing? That's so lame. Well, that leads to... He's like, this will look bad in the media for you. (laughs) Got him. That leads to Kirkland's wife dying in a car bomb. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, uh, I think it's like episode eight of season two, she died. And then in season three, uh, the FBI agent, uh, uh, Agent Quinn? I I, I forget her name. Which Um, one? The Asian lady or the black guy? The Asian lady. Um, she, in season three, she finds the perpetrator of the biohazard attack and then she dies immediately. Uh, so like a lot of people die in this show. I don't know. It sounds rushed in some ways. It definitely feels like Netflix wanted to get a show going. They're like, look, Kevin Spacey is canceled. We need... Uh, another house of cards and so they thought designated survivor was going to be that and apparently the contract negotiations were just too complicated for netflix who knew contract negotiations would be so complicated (laughs) man yeah that's so funny the timing is perfect right so the house of cards stuff explodes and then it just totally falls through the floor with Kevin Spacey allegations, they buy up this show, do one season of it, and then are like, oh, this fucking show actually sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this show sucks dick. Yeah, uh, that's pretty perfect. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to watch any more of this. Now that it's been spoiled for you, are you going to continue to watch it? Fuck no. No? I'm, I'm really glad I got spoiled because that sounds extremely stupid. I mean, there's, there's like a kind of pleasure in watching something dumb like this yeah. and then being shocked when dumb things happen. But the, the level of entertainment uh, for me is, is not worth another, you know, 40 hours or whatever. Yeah. Now, ways that this would be propaganda is like we said earlier, there seems to be a... Uh, United States political media narrative that optimism and intellectualism will improve our government and our country. And it's like very Obama era coded. Yeah. So we've got the West Wing, Parks and Rec, designated survivor. But to your to something that you said, like he's drone striking, 
So is he maintaining intellectualism while drone striking? Is that another call yeah, to the so Obama era? If you, if you watch like the first three episodes, they're like, um, um, we think we know where Osama bin Laden is, basically. Um, here's here's this coordinates out in the desert, right? Um, um, blow him up with a drone. And then Kirkland says, well, how, how do we know? Are we 100% sure? Blah, blah. He kind of slows things down. Um, thinks about it a while, and then once he's kind of sufficiently, um, sufficiently kind of intellectualized it, and and like reached a point where there's no other actions to be taken, um, then he authorizes it. So basically, it's it's just uh, it's just like slow down and think about. There's also a kind of implication about guilt, right? There's there's some mention of like civilian casualties which he wants to avoid. Oh, they're going to they might accidentally kill an undercover guy that's in like the Osama bin Laden bunker, and he doesn't want that to happen. So there's like more like you know, um, not a single American can die in, in any one of these. Uh, there's eventually they don't drone bomb it, but uh, Delta Force goes in to like capture him in a hospital or something, and the show acknowledges one no civilian casualties which they're super happy about and then one of the delta force guys guys dies right and uh and so he has a he gets a moment to feel bad about that so i need to ask you alec did you like this show um where you continue to watch i was i was entertained to have it on in the background for like five or six hours did i like it fuck no 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 no. (laughs) but like was i like was i interested enough to watch it and laugh at it and be like a little bit disappointed by it like yeah right which is you know what for like an abc a primetime abc show is kind of all you can uh ask for yeah i wonder if the quality of the show uh increases once it hits netflix because on netflix you can say like fuck shit you can like have nudity yeah they could have like an after hours version of it um. like i'm the designated fucking survivor (laughs) (laughs) they could actually show like some of the uh special forces guys getting like exploded (laughs) but i so i've got a question for you so what this obsession about so so we got an, another A24 movie uh, coming out soon, uh, Civil War Hell movie. Hell yeah, I cannot we, wait. We've, I'm going to drive to Louisiana, or you got to drive to Texas. We have to see that together. We, I would love to see it together. So we have that. We have the, 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 the real world, I mean in quotes, right, real world preoccupation with um, Eagle Pass and, and the, the Texas border, yeah. right? I'm trying to remember from when I was a kid, I think there is definitely a heightened level of talk about the breakdown of the united states and a potential civil war between the sides mm-hmm. right and a kind of um and a kind of infatuation on both sides with that with that concept of uh, at the very least post-apocalyptic america and i'll tell you right um designated survivor has definite elements of like civil of 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 civil war of of a potential like civil war or armed constitutional crisis what do you think about the fact that we uh, that we're that we're making this media that we're making civil war media or like destruction of America media? Yeah, yeah. Is that a is that a canary in the coal mine for the American project? I don't think it's a canary in the coal mine. So Sinclair Lewis wrote a book in 1935 called "It Can't Happen Here," 
And I'm reading from Wikipedia here. Set in fictionalized version of 1930s United States, it follows an American politician, Brazilius Buzz Windrip, who quickly rises to power to become the country's first outright dictator. An allusion to Adolf Hitler's rise to power in Nazi Germany. And Doramus Jessup, a newspaper editor who sees Windrip's fascist policies for what they are ahead of time and become Windrip's most ardent critic. So it's not necessarily post-apocalyptic, but it is like a fascistic takeover of the United States. I think that... Every generation has their own little post-apocalyptic kind of, uh, 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 not necessarily fantasy, but they they think it's going to happen in their lifetime. Like, our boomers, our parents, I don't know about your parents, my parents are obsessed with The Walking Dead. They've seen all the spinoffs, and they're just like, Dad, this is going to happen. This, yeah, this there's a lot to say about, like, the, the boomers kind of, you know, the, the racialized view of zombies and all that. Right? Yeah. Lots of people commented on that. And then, you know, with us, our generation, it's either complete, uh, you know, climate disaster. Uh, and I guess, like, elder millennial Gen X has this designated survivor um, kind of liberal idea of, 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 of how, how will the country stay alive in the apocalypse. I don't necessarily think it's a canary in the coal mine. I just think that... Every generation has their own version of expressing post-apocalyptic stuff. I mean, I forget when exactly these books came out. I don't know if they're more for Gen Z or millennials, but I hear Gen Z talking about them more. The Hunger Games is like... Oh, it's massive. Yeah, The Hunger Games or the Divergent series. Like, we, our generation grew up reading Harry Potter of like... Wouldn't it be awesome if you went to school and it's just like a magic school, but you're in school and and Gen Z and uh, younger millennials. It's like, hey, you are in a post-apocalyptic society and you're forced to kill your friends. In order for well, food. I mean, I don't know about the like the infantilization of, the, you know, you could say that uh, that everybody's like a man child now and therefore we're obsessed with these uh these works that are fundamentally unserious, but I, I think I think that it actually does scratch a, a very political itch, right? Uh, something yeah. like the Hunger Games, which is, what if what if the evil that you, um, on some level, probably do believe exists within the structure that you live under? What if it was far more naked, right? What if it was easy to identify and therefore easier and cleaner to fight against, right? And yeah. you don't, and you and 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 the the fantasy is, what if you didn't live in a world where you have to say well, it's complicated, right? Or like, um, well, you know, I, I don't know, the, the Republican Party or the Democrats for that matter, right? Like there are redeeming qualities to them and they're made up of people like you and me. What if they were just straight up Nazis and you could say like, oh, it's good to kill them, right? It's good to resist, right? And I'm going to, um, and by the way, we're there's a lot less to lose. So therefore, uh, resistance kind of takes on a more uh, appealing tone. Yeah. Right. What if we were poor and lived in, um, you know, I don't know what zone 13 or whatever. I, I have seen a couple of the Hunger Games movies, but I can't remember what it's called. Right. What if we lived in the Appalachia uh, state? Right. And, um, you know, the, the brown shirts were literally shooting people. So I'm going to put on my my pretentious little cap here and I'm going to quote Slavoj and uh, uh, and Frederick Jameson. With the sentiment that they have expressed of, it is easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine an end of capitalism. And these post-apocalyptic fantasies are created to kind of 
distract us or placate us from actually creating media or sitting and thinking about and systemically critiquing the system in which we live and creating media that does so. So even within designated survivor, the government falls apart. And what happens? An idealistic intellectual keeps the boat from tipping over. And so it's the end of the world, but one guy's going to keep us on track. The, the, it's neoliberal fantasies manifest, man. It's just that like trade is going to happen. The markets will stay open. And instead of using this show as a vehicle to come up with a fictional narrative of, all right, how can we reform the country after everyone is wiped out? It's everyone's wiped out. How can we get everything back on track within this fictional narrative? Yeah, it's it's funny. That's why it's so funny to me that the show presents that the that the um, that the structure before the you know apocalyptic event right isn't perfect. They go out of their way to have a couple scenes where you see that the that the, the focus of the show is personally affected by the imperfection of that world, and then it just totally forgets about it within like the same episode. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's very much a business as usual. It felt. It, it feels like. This, this is what it would be. We talked about January 6th and how we all had to keep working. If this happened, would our bosses send us home or would they say, you can go home at five? Uh, so, yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's this is a, a point of prop, a propaganda in and of itself, which is to say that um, the only reason you get to complain about HUD funding, for instance, right, is because you're not in the executive driver's seat. And if you were, you would understand that there are things that are just more important than that, right? That like deciding whether or not to bomb Algeria is more important than whether or not, you know, uh, more social housing gets built. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I mean, like, and, and I think I think to, to your point earlier, right, um, it's when you say like, uh, uh, you know, um, we we make this instead of uh, media that uh, has a, a real critique of the structure as it exists. I don't think ABC ABC can't make a it can't make uh, anything that that has a real structural critique. Which is, by the way, I mean uh, maybe something that we'll talk about on a future episode. It's why that that uh, that Star Wars show yeah, was Andor. you know think of it what you will, but that's it was pretty extreme. It was pretty politically charged. Yeah. And I think it asked a lot of uh, very uncomfortable questions or presented at least like a very, uh, a, a more honest and very radical vision of, of, of like a liberatory movement, right? Within the confines of the Star Wars universe. That's why that show was so shocking yeah. that Disney fucking made that. I think you saying that like ABC could never really create a show that uh, has a systemic uh, critique Netflix can't either. So even when they bought the show, it's not like you're going to get anything different. And I think a good uh, 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 example of this kind of co-opting is the show Squid Game, the, Korea, the South Korean show Squid Game. It's like, okay, this is really critiquing capitalism and showing that like it, 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 it strips away hum your humanity completely. And yet, what did Netflix do? We're going to make another season, even though the creator of Squid Game didn't want to make another season. We're making another season, and we're making an American reality show based on Squid Game. They yeah, did it's, it. It's, they made fucking the, the Squid Game. 
it, that's like a perfect like form over substance thing, right? They just they're just like, wow, people love this. Um, uh, people love this biting satire, and it's like, no, people really want a game show where the uh, where the where the stakes are you die, right? Yeah. It's like, it's so, is, it's, is that what they like? Or? Because you also have to acknowledge that there are people who likely watch Squid Game and a Hunger Game, and instead of thinking like. Fuck! This is a uh, this is a big criticism upon the society in which we're existing. They're just like, I know how I'd do this. Yeah, I would. I would. I would be in the Squid Game and I would win. Yeah, <laughs> that's so perfect. It's like yeah, yeah. If, if I was in the Hunger Games, if you and I were in the Hunger Games, I wouldn't think. I wouldn't think of like collective uh, uh, challenging of the structure. I would think of like. I know Alex's left leg is weak, so I need to sweep his leg and kill him. Zombie apocalypse would be fun because I would survive, right? <laughs> or like, you know, the end of America would be fun because uh, because Jack Bauer would get to be president. <laughs> oh my god. Zombie apocalypse happens, I'm putting a bullet in my fucking head. I'm not dealing with this. I, dude, I mean, if the power goes out for too long, I'm probably fucking off myself. <laughs> Maybe maybe something we want to touch on uh, right before we end uh, things. Yeah. This week, uh, Starship Troopers has been in the kind of Twitter zeitgeist. Yes. And uh, this morning, somebody I follow basically said, you know, um, I should say one of the sides in that discussion, right, is a critique of the discussion itself by uh, by some leftists, by people I generally agree with, that says, like, you know, this is why we shouldn't really be doing media criticism of um, of this kind anyway, right? Because... Any talking about um, um, talking about Starship Troopers makes uh, Starship Troopers more popular, and obviously, people that you know like the overt fascism of Starship Troopers like it, and therefore, it's propagating that idea. Is media criticism uh, maybe on this show right? Is it uh, bourgeois? Is it uh, is it something that we should even be engaging with? Connor, go. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's like. I look forward to every Saturday just like kind of <laughs> shitting on this kind of stuff. It's fun, you know. Like I'm, I'm in school, so I have to be more stuffy and academic when I'm talking about media criticism. It's fun to just like fuck around and talk about it. Who fucking cares? It's fun. Uh, Again, is, I think our answer. I think that's the correct answer. If you are thinking like, how can I live my life every day to to to, to better accommodate the revolution that's coming, uh, brother? Pour a cup of coffee, have some fun on occasion. Yeah, and like we talked about last week if you're a big lefty and you watch starship troopers you're not going to become a fascist if you have fascist seeds in your mind and you watch starship troopers it will water those seeds you have to be automatically like you have to be kind of predisposed to wanting that kind of content wanting that kind of world like i would make the argument that tim pool he always bragged about how he was in occupy wall street and he was let down by the democrats then he became a republican i would argue that tim pool was probably a very conservative person already and then it made it much more easier for him to flip certainly a person that was not um particularly ideological right no and as for, I I just got to say this. So yesterday when we were talking about what we're going to watch, I did pitch Starship Troopers. And this is because I recently read the book like a couple months ago. And then I uh, have been playing Helldivers 2, which is straight up just like a ripoff of Starship Troopers. And I think Helldivers 2, because it came out this month, is why Starship Troopers was under Zeitgeist. Oh, we got off the phone and I saw Starship Troopers was trending on Twitter. And I was just like, well... 
now we can't talk about it because everyone's going to think that we're, you know, just. Yeah, I, I don't want to really. Um, I, I kind of don't want to be a guy that's just talking about what's on trending on Twitter. You yeah, know what no, I mean? no. I, no, I, I'm with you. I'm going to go. I'm going to go out of my way to find like fun uh, propaganda of uh, 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 movies that that I don't think many people have talked about. Yeah. Right. Or that have been out of the conversation long enough to where uh, it doesn't seem like uh, we're just, you know, following some kind of fucking, you know, Google trend. Yeah. And I mean, with with parallel thinking, there's nothing that we could if we had talked if we had spent this afternoon or morning talking about Starship Troopers, there's not a single original thing we could have added to the conversation because so many people are talking about it right now. No one's fucking talking about designated survivor. As they should. <laughs> fucking show sucks. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this week on Propagandos. Uh, just to remember, uh, on Twitter, we're there on Twitter, at Propagandos Pod. Follow us, like us, subscribe to us, whatever. Um, tell your friends. We're trying to do more media criticism. It was fun talking about the news until it became really fucking brutal and depressing. So we're going to hopefully talk more about uh, movies and TV shows. If you have ideas, if there's propagandist uh, movies and TV shows that you, or even albums, music albums, whatever, if there's media that you know of that you want to hear our hot takes on, please let us know. If there's media that you just like and you want to hear us uh, uh, complain about it or you want to get in a fight with us about whether or not it's propaganda, yeah. send us that shit. Yeah. We, it, 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 if you want to argue with us online, name a time and place. If you want to fight me in person, please know I'm just a little guy. <laughs> I'm a small bean. <laughs> All right. That'll... So my wife, just, uh, my wife just sent me this link. Oh, yeah? Um, headline, Louisiana governor declares state of emergency due to police shortage. <laughs> We don't have enough cops, and there's a fucking state of emergency. Let me let me read this. Uh, uh, Jeff Landry declared a state of emergency Friday due to a shortage of police officers throughout the Bayou State. Governor's office said in a statement that Louisiana sheriff's offices were short by roughly 1,800 deputies statewide. I guess those are, what, uh, uh, help-wanted positions that nobody wants? <laughs> those shortages are blamed for law enforcement issues, including slower response times. Quote, as a former police officer and sheriff's deputy, I understand the vital role our law enforcement officers play in our communities, Landry said. Currently, our state is facing a shortage of officers, resulting in increased crime and less public safety. So uh, you heard it first here. Uh, be looking, if you want to be employed in the state of Louisiana, uh, be looking for increased wages, which I'm sure are going to correspond with the state of emergency. I'm sure they're going to uh, allocate some state money to pay uh, cops more. Dude, nobody wants to work anymore. That's the fucking Nobody problem. wants to fucking work anymore, dude. Yeah. It's over for us. We're, we're about to be overrun with uh, fentanyl uh, immigrants. <laughs> Muslim fentanyl immigrants. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess uh, I'll stop to record, unless you want to go out on a big joke about the the, the lack of cops in Louisiana. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, you seem nice. Don't go to the State of the Union tomorrow. <laughs> it is revealed later on that uh, they picked him as the. There was a conspiracy to pick Kirkland as the designated they survivor. They picked him because they're like, they're we like need a guy. he's such a soy that will easily be able to uh, like take he's over the government. He's such a soy cuck. <laughs> and he like, oh shit, he stood up for himself. We're fucked. The whole conspiracy. His, his, his ideals. His ideals just <laughs> transcended. Boo. Fucking boo. All right. <laughs>